theboardsource.com, premium top shelf used surfboards, website updated daily. Check them out, theboardsource.com. Need essentials, wetsuits, board shorts, gear, needessentials.com. I know there are more beloved surfers in San Diego. Think Skip Fry. I know there are more decorated surfers in San Diego as well. Rob Machado comes to mind. And there are more historically significant surfers from San Diego. How about Phil Edwards or Bob Simmons? But for my money, Joe Roper really personifies San Diego surfing. Maybe it's his blue-collar work ethic. He's a hard worker. And he had to work hard to establish himself in the rough territorial waters of the 1970s Big Rock and Wind and Sea scenes. Maybe I'm a bit biased. As a young surfer in San Diego in the late 70s, I devoured Surfer Magazine, old and new. And Joe Roper, along with the other Joe, Joe Baran, were San Diego's finest representatives in Hawaii. And the camera doesn't lie. Joe Roper absolutely charges meaty waves. Soul as defined by Merriam-Webster's dictionary, is a strong positive feeling as of intense sensitivity and emotional fervor. Taken a little further, the concept of surfing soul, a still rather vague idea and ambiguous, it's hard to put your finger on it, but we've all heard somebody say of another surfer, that guy has soul. Rabbit Kakai comes to mind. And you know it when you experience it, when you're around somebody like that. And yeah, I know, surfing soul sounds rather trite and cliche. But if you know Joe Roper, you know that his spirit permeates San Diego's surfing soul. The Boardroom Podcast with Joe Roper. Let us begin. Joe Roper of Joe Roper's Custom Surfboard Repair and Custom Glass Jobs. And Joe, you do restorations as well. Welcome to the Boardroom Podcast. Thank you for having me. Where were you first introduced to riding waves? Growing up in PB, surfing Crystal Pier. How old were you? Ten years old. And how did you get to the beach? What what led you to the Crystal Pier? I lived on Chow Sydney Street, which was in PB, about eight blocks away, and rode my Stingray bicycle and bored under the arm. What did your parents do for work? Uh, my mom was just their, your, you know, old school housewife, and my dad worked for General Dynamics. Oh, really? Yeah. What did he do at GD? He was in the electronics division and that was his lifetime job probably right around here like the conveyor division conveyor here in kearney division, mason kearney mason and, and down by the airport that's interesting my dad worked there too small half world Sa- half of san diego probably. <laughs> good point <laughs> either military or conveyor yeah exactly um your first custom surfboard 
First custom. Well, that was, uh, I want to say, at a PB surf shop. And it was, uh, it was a swallowtail skip fry, 19, probably 72, I want to say. Glass on fin, uh, lime green top, yellow tent bottom. Never forget it. One of my favorite boards. Where is that board? I don't know. <laughs> but my first surfboard was, was a, in my garage for about a year. My brother's friend uh, told his parents it got ripped off, and he stashed it in our garage. And basically, I was like, you know, let me have this board. So $29 later, 1969, I got it from my brother's buddy, and... That was my very first surfboard. How long had you been surfing in 1969? Were you just that was when I first started. First started. I had 69. a North Shore belly board mm-hmm. when I was like you know between eight and ten years old, and the fins and going out and riding that, and you know I was too small to stand up on. Of course, I wanted to be a surfer, but I couldn't afford a surfboard. But I'd borrow the old '60s boards, and and they're a little bit heavy for my weight, and I'd kind of ghost ride and pro, and I'd fly up with the board, and you know. Uh, but once the boards were smaller and I got, you know, it was 610 was the size of that board. It was a, it was a magic, Gordon Smith magic model. I'm not sure who shaped it, but yeah. it's kind of a cool board. And uh, that's where I started out. And why did this guy have to tell his parents that this board was stolen? He, didn't, he, didn't, he wanted a new board. Uh. <laughs> so he got the insurance money. <laughs> oh my God. That's funny. <laughs> Yeah. Guys, just pulling scams. It's terrible. You know, no, it's like, great. I mean, but, it's terrible, and you know, it's great. As a kid, I just I didn't know the story until later. You and, know what uh, you can do is you can take this thing out if you want and just hold it if it's easier for you. Yeah. So I didn't really know the story of the board until later years, you know, and they revealed it. But but uh, you know, I I ended up with a a nice surfboard, and and that was my stepping stone to. Yeah. Or, and you're ten years old. He's you're t- yeah. sixty nine. You're ten years old. I was 11 years old in 69, but yeah. Now, that was was a big winter of surf, obviously. Do you recall that being a crazy winter for you as a young 11-year-old, or was it just beyond you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, When La Jolla Cove broke, I didn't get a chance to to get a ride up there, and I went up there a couple days after the big 69 swell with Ricky Gregg at La Jolla Cove, and, and, uh, you know, and just hearing the stories and seeing the magazines with, you know, the North Shore getting wiped out and all that. But I was pretty young, and, uh, yes, I was, you know, interested in seeing all that stuff, you know. and and uh, But pretty much I was just, you know, that beach break kid and just, you know, kept it between Crystal Pier and Law Street and surfed with my friends. Yeah. And you mentioned you had an older brother? I have two older brothers. My brother Steve... He surfed in the 60s, rode the Henson models and all whatever else, and he surfed the reefs, and, you know, uh, he'd get a surfboard and lose it in the rocks and destroy it, and, and you know, it, my parents couldn't understand that. Like, how do you destroy the surfboard, you know, and it costs so much money, and it was a different world back there. And, and uh, he kind of phased out in the late 60s. He went through that 60s revolution of a lot of stuff going on. And then my brother Rick, yeah, he picked it up in about probably, you know, late 60s. And he used to go up to Cardiff and the different spots up there. And and, uh, I used to get to tag along because his buddies were kind of kneeboarders. And there's a couple surfers that were in his group. One of the kneeboarders 
ended up being the you know legendary big rock guy steve newbegin which his nickname was creature he rode the the uh george greeno spoons and then he kind of went into kind of a pintail kneeboard fry and and he never really hit the fish thing he wasn't quite that he was more like that you know different style where the fish guys were doing that bottom turning really aggressive he would airdrop get in the barrel and you know and that was his his stance you know as a kneeboarder did creature was creature one of the guys that sort of first sort of wet your appetite for big rock like it seems like your older brother's friend oh yeah they were they were going there my brother rick and 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 that little group you know steve stuck it out my brother destroyed one of his brand new boards there no leashes so his big rock uh days kind of ended because he couldn't really afford to destroy his boards you know and so he still would dabble a little bit but he was not that core guy that wanted to just go out and get barreled you know so you're so you're a young teenager and you're between law street and maybe you're even venturing up to tourmaline i don't know you're at crystal pier you're in this area you do you get a car and do and if you do do is this where you start to migrate uh, it took a few years. I, I would say probably seventy one. I was I was really kind of, you know, win and see, and and uh, Big Rock was on the edge of the fence, kind of just dabbling a little bit. You know, you're a kid, and, and to get up there is no big deal. I mean, we'd ride our bicycles. You know, like I said, our Stingray bikes with our boards. So there was no drama between. I'm a thirteen year old kid at PB. Like there was no regional drama between going north of tourmaline or anything like that no no Rock? only time i go to tourmaline if the waves are too big and closing out at the beaches and and it was before school or whatever and we'd go down and get this outside rolling wave we could get outside and catch waves where the beaches we just get hammered and couldn't is closing out and you know actually chris o'rourke used to come down in big winter swells and we'd go out and ride these big eight foot burgers or six foot at that time probably probably seemed like a hundred foot as a kid but we go out there, and it's like that's where we. I first, you know, did the crossover. A guy in front of you, and hey, cut back and cut back, and we'd share waves, and it was just kind of that rolly wave at Tourmaline. So that was the only time I dabbled at Tourmaline as a kid. Once I kind of figured it out, and I bypassed that, and the waves are up. I go to the reefs, you know, and then I ventured into Big Rock, and then there's no stopping during. But every I mean, spell. going up there, migrating up there as a kid from PB to La Jolla, was that? social drama or was that just like oh yeah that's the next wave up was there any oh, was there absolutely. any pecking order was there any situation where you had to oh absolutely yeah. you know i mean you're de- dealing with a really tough crowd i mean win and see was super scary to me with the locals and big rock i you know work your way out to the peak but it took you know a long time to do that and and yes it was localized and and when we, we had a little rat pack of kids from pb you know and we all served good you know ted smith was one of them and he ventured and ended up going to la jolla high and turned into a la jolla guy mark rule the same way but but uh yeah there's that group of winnessy guys and the pb guys would hang south on our own little group but <laughs> but uh and we you know i knew that we had to respect the the guys i remember going out to the peak at winnessy on a pretty good day and and pat them for a wave and one of the old guys grabbed me and pulled me back and said hey you know get off the peak and scared the crap out of me and, and, and scolded me hard for getting a little aggressive at the peak. And I was like, oh, you know, these guys are gnarly. Yeah. But, you know, you just kind of take it and work your way down. And it was tough growing up back then, you know. So we, we knew who to stay away from and, who, you know, how to kind of sneak your way in. But one story is riding our bikes up and we go, hey, you going to Lindsay? And, 
and there'd be me and Dan Ryan, you know, or Chris Ryan were the big rock guys, you know, and, and some of the other guys would go up and, and we'd go together and surf wind and sea, but you never want to go up in a pack, you know, and so we'd kind of, you know, guys like Chris Phillips and those guys were in our group, Fred Zerbrook, and there's just our core group guys that surf really good from PB, and and uh, we were friends with the guys in La Jolla, but it wasn't a hall pass by any means. It was just like, okay, yeah, where are you surfing? Yeah, I'm going to the pier, and we'd sneak off and jam up to Wind and Sea. And even at Big Rock, when I go to Big Rock, we'd ride up together and a block away from Big Rock. You know, Chris Ryan or Dan or my whoever I happened to be. Those were probably the only two I kind of snuck out at Big Rock. But you know, hey, wait till I paddle out. Don't lock your bike by mine and sneak out like you didn't come with me. Yeah. And that was the, the, the pecking order, the way we rolled, you know. Yeah. And it's like, what are you showing up with all these guys, you know. And it was pretty localized. Like I said, it was a totally different world back then. As to Who were some of the guys that were older than you that kind of put the fear in you? Oh, there's just, uh, you know, all the kneeboarder guys that, yeah. you know, I mean, that population was pretty heavy at Big Rock, you know. And yeah. you got the guys like Mitch and uh, Skinner. And, you know, the surfer guys was Jeff Toomey was the the one of the better guys. He's like the Lopez of Big Rock, you know, yeah. super casual. Uh, you had, uh, God, who, who's the fish guy? Uh, backsider, new break. He, not Gephardt, but uh, Chang. Oh, yeah. Chang was uh, was this backsider that came from the cliffs or whatever, and he surfed yeah. the jetty too. Even Larry Gephardt surfed Mission Jetty, but, but uh, he was really one of the best backsiders I ever saw taking off way deep and pulling in. And it's like, wow, look at that guy, man. How's he do it backside? So the, he was a standout. And then you got the Craig X and, and uh, guys like that that were surf guys that, that were Did older, you... but they, they kind of knew where I was coming from. You know, Marshall was a kneeboarder that was taking pictures and all that. And, and they didn't hassle me because I was, you know, just kind of held my mug and just, you know, kind of sort of until I kind of was working my way out further. Then I was a thorn in their side, hustling them out of ways. But <laughs> it was kind of hard to hustle some of them because especially Mark Skinner was like the kneeboarder that was like he thought he was Jerry Lopez on his knees, you know, super style guy. And he got that little exposure that Warren Bolster put in the magazine of all the kneeboarders. Yeah. So he had this this ego that was just beyond. And uh, I was going to ask you about that, right? Lobster Lounge, he came out and surfer in like 77. Ledges, Lobster well, Lounge. There was one, right, when they called it Moyd's Land or something. You know, yep, like yep. How did the guys that surfed there that didn't get their pictures taken did, did, did react to that media exposure? Well, the guys that were getting their pictures, what are they going to go up and go, hey, get this photographer out of here? Bolster's kind of kind of understood the localism. Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I think he even snuck down the cliffs and got pictures too. But but uh, I guess you just kind of have a relation with some of these guys. And, and uh, like Marshall took pictures, but he was never recognized at the magazine. He probably has some of the most sacred pictures of anybody in La Jolla, and they never posted his pictures, you know. And, and uh, so he's got a, a file of... of classic old good stuff you know he'll do a slideshow at birds once in a while and Killer. and uh that's just really but, but but that exposure that i remember as a kid like i was a 12 year old when all of a sudden i'm looking at big rock you know i mean i didn't even think they called it big rock they called it lobster lounger and so i'm wondering if the guys that were there were like oh this is lame you know don't they know that you know this is sort of protected land and what good is this going to do us was there any of that did you feel any of that did you was that did that exist like i said it was just a, a group that like that little ego boost so they all kind of accepted it anybody would show up with a camera they'd kick them out of there but, yeah. but if they're you know 
somebody we knew. It, yeah. was, it was kind of a Bolster hall pass was, for yeah. him, you know? Yeah. Like Divine and, you know, Bolster. Right. And, and then, you know, Marshall was that underground guy in the water. He'd go out and get good waves and go, you know, I got to shoot this and go out and with his little Nikonist and just, you know, get some incredible pictures. And, and, T- tell me about the Wind and Sea Surf Club. When did you become a member of the legendary Wind and Sea Surf Club? Well, I, I didn't become a member until later years, but I was in the last Minahuni contest, I think it was 1971 at La Jolla Shores, the year before Michael Ho won it, and I was kind of a late entry, so I had to go out and skin. I didn't have a, a color, but, but uh, going to the banquet the night before and, and, and just being around all these guys that were like, you know, not the the legendary skip fries and hensons but the next generation like the, the brad hearse and the and the you know uh just different guys in that you know uh that group of guys tim lynch and guys like that gary you know yeah gary keating i think was involved and and uh those were the guys that that were the standouts for me growing up and i was like i remember they had a uh, some of the meetings at PB Junior High, and I just lived a block away, and we're like looking in the window, going, oh, "God, they're like, all these guys. These guys are such good surfers, and all jealous, and just wanted to be in the club, but didn't know how to get in the club." And and then it kind of went to sleep in '71 or two, and and then the the local wooden sea guys, uh, you know, Jeff Junkins and Rob Lescum and guys like that. Uh, John Roseman and and even Julie Designs from the other side of the fence and OB and uh, they kind of started it back up and it was kind of I called it kind of the under the shack uh, tribe of winning sea guys trying to bring it back and then in the eighties I surfed uh, one of the club events uh, up at Cardiff Reef and wore the colors and it was like the first real contest we were in and and all these people are coming up going god so stoked to see win and see we got third place that contest and i was the only one that was left to accept the trophy and it was like that was the beginning so about you know 86 i want to say right, right but my heart was in it from the beginning and yeah. and to get in the club and all the legends that that were all my my heroes was the reason why i wanted to get involved and just keep the history going and then when my kids came along it just passing the history on and, and all the contests are really fun because they're you know you'd meet different families with their kids and you know we're adults and our kids are growing up through all the contests and we met different families from santa cruz all the way down to imperial beach you know and and it was really kind of a, a neat thing to go and surf with these guys malibu and santa cruz and all that and and it was a family thing and then my kids grew up and i kind of just I'm kind of on the sideline, flying the wall, not as active as, as I was in the in the '90s and 2000. You know, yeah. late 2000s, I kind of just fizzled out and just kind of let them run with it, and still enjoying it. We had our 50th, and after the 50th anniversary, it's just like, okay, well, this is you know, keep it going, guys. Mm-hmm. So, getting back to Wind and Sea, um, all the incredible surfers. You know, many you've mentioned, and there's some others that we could come up with. When you think back on on Wind and Sea, who's the standout surfer of all time at Wind and Sea? Well, that's a hard one because there's so many. It's stepping stone for. Who so put a mu- smile on your face when you saw him? Like you were like smile on you know my face, I mean? like Tom Ordner. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, because he's a style. He, just his style and his his. 
you know, personality. And he was just a, a you know, a very soft-spoken guy. He didn't, I wasn't the kind of guy going, hey, man, hey, how you doing, man? Yeah. He was just like, we just kind of see each other and smile as we're riding good waves. And, and later years, you know, I was comfortable because we became good friends, you know, and I could sit there and, you know, good morning, Tom, and have a little conversation. But back then, he just didn't go up and in in bro house people you know you yeah. just it was too localized you just don't go up and be that loud guy you keep yeah. your mouth shut and you catch waves and hopefully you could sneak a couple sets if they didn't take them and and yeah. roll with it but uh chris o'rourke and and brew briggs as being my age guys yeah of course those are the two uh golden kids man and and riding just the best boards from the rainbow boards watching them snap like three boards in one swell and the going and getting another one and I just couldn't even imagine having more than one surfboard and these guys had a quiver and and they're the best surfers you know brew like i said he was switch foot big rock and horseshoe and and uh chris was just that ripper and just probably one of the biggest loudmouths in the lineup by far and that was localism to the max because he had all the older guys to back him and then he you know he'd get away with murder but there's the big rock and win and see kind of that trade-off where I was mostly a big rock guy and I didn't tap into win and see all the time and never ever try to even claim it. I'd sneak out, do my, get my waves and, you know, yeah. Chris and I became friends, but, but he was like, you know, did you he, have an ornery run in with Chris on occasion or? Uh, one time at big rock, he kind of bucked up a little and thought, you know, I was deeper and he, grabbed my leash and i got sucked over the falls like nobody's business so yeah i I had a few uh harsh words to say to him and and uh even though he was the the heavy and who's gonna you know buck up to chris o'rourke because he's chris o'rourke and went and see and but we were in my uh, neutral territory and he knew that big rock wasn't his right hooker like went and see and and there was a lot of us out there that kind of I had a little more support team than I would at Wind and Sea, so I was able to kind of say say it how it was. And, and after that, we, you know, he apologized and everything was cool, you know. Yeah. Because I mean, we both, you know, like juicy, gnarly waves, you know, and yeah. and uh, so nothing bad, not, you know. Just uh, as kids, you're gonna, you know, like somebody, not like somebody, love somebody, hate them, you know. That's what brothers do, and and uh, you know. Chris and I, you know, being him caster, me, GNS, and in later years when we got a little, you know, when he went to Australia and all that, and then before, I mean, right in the cancer period, you know, yeah. he, he became real humble and, and realized that, you know, we're all in the same neighborhood, whether it's PV. I mean, I still to this day go, yeah, I still got my visa to get stamped when I go surf winning because I'm a PV guy <laughs> and I represent that. I don't try to fake and go, oh, yeah. you're a La Jolla guy. No, 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 no. Now they call me a Claremont because I live in Bay Park, but they can, <laughs> they can do whatever they want. Those are the, you know, usually the Johnny come lately's, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, going back a little further into Wind and Sea, um, I'm wondering because of your roots with surfing big lefts and surfing pipeline and of course big rock did you ever know butch van arstalen or did you have any connection with butch other than just the regional situation butch well you hear stories you know he was the local of all locals you know and didn't back down to a fight and you know uh ended up in hawaii and mr pipeline and of course as a kid those those stories set in very deep 
never, ever got to surf with him, never, ever got to meet him other than one time when I was on the North Shore, 1977, and I was with Hank Warner, and we went up to a house on top of Pupakea and a little uh, slideshow or something, and, and uh, coming down, it was a, pretty much a, a mile walk down the hill, and we're just, you know, walking, and car goes by, we put our thumb out and try to get a ride down the hill because I was staying right at the A-frame at the bottom of the hill. And this car pulls over, and it was Butch Van Archdale. And Hank is good friends with him, and he looks and goes, Butchie? And he looks at Hank and goes, Hanky Panky? <laughs> and he went, oh, my God, how you doing? Da-da. Here's my friend Joe. Hey, Joe, shook his hand. Butch Van Archdale, oh, my God, God, good, good to meet you. Get in the back of the truck, and he... Hank sat in the front seat of his little Datsun truck or whatever it was. There wasn't room for three, so I hopped in the back, got to the bottom of the hill. God, nice to meet you. You know, just not, you know, humble. Just yeah. shaking his hands. All right. And that was the only time I ever met him. You know, not even seen him lifeguarding at the beach or anything. But uh, just, you know, part of La Jolla, like we said, Big Rock, Wind and Sea, and then, you know, conquering the North Shore. It's it's the, the surfers that come out of... The reefs in La Jolla, it's, it's just you could go down the list. And, and us growing up and hearing stories of, you know, different Durfer and Curran and, and all these, you know, legends that went over and surfed YMA and, and Pipeline. And, and uh, it just gives me chills going, God, I was, you know, hello. We're part of that. You know, this is our history of our, our neighborhood. Well, you're, you have a direct lineage, Joe. I mean, when you think about it, and I've done some thinking about it, I can only think of four San Diegans that have been in the Pipe Masters. Now, there probably are a few more. In fact, I just remember Joey Baran. But when we think about it, we think Butch. Like when I think of Pipe, I'm thinking Butch. I'm thinking Joe Roper. I'm thinking Joel Tudor and Rob Machado, who eventually won that event. And, of course, Joey Baran, I believe, won it in 84 or 85 or something like that. So, And then you mentioned Diff, who named it, who named the Bonsai Pipeline. And... Um, Who's the other name? Um, Phil Pat Curran. Oh, Pat Curran, yeah. And Phil's from Oceanside. Yeah, so yeah. there is a pretty solid connection of... But th- but it's small, though, really. it's I mean, it's 10 guys that that have sort of pipeline in the San Diego connection, and you're one of them. Yeah, it's pretty special that I was able to get over there at the right time before the boogie board population even was thought of. Tell and, us about the first time you went to Hawaii and what it, what it was like for you. <laughs> well, you know... Graduated high school in 1977. Uh, I, By this time, you're an established big rock surfer. You've, you've had, you've probably had some photos in Surfer Magazine. Maybe those came right around 80. No, my first photo at Big Rock was Warren Bolster. Is 1975, the California Green Room, really uh, colorful, nice deep barrel. Uh, you're 16 years old, roughly. Yeah, pretty much. 15, 16. Uh, and just basically, uh, 1977, got my boards made, had no clue on what to write over there. I brought three boards, three different boxes. That's the way GNS shipped them. Glass on fins. Who's shaping your boards? Hank Warner made my boards. Yeah. Uh, prior to that, I was working at San Diego Surf Shop. That's where I started my dinger pair operation. Bill Menard would make my boards. And... And I started skating for Bain, and then I skated for GNS, a little acceleration here. And when I skated for GNS, the Stinger came out. They go, here, try this. Hated it. So I had Hank make me a little 
half stinger to only 18 inches up on the wings and made a pintail for a big rock board and that board actually worked really well at big rock glass on fin and and that was my second gns after earlier gns's before i started riding for matrix in san diego surf shop and and when i got ready for hawaii i told the owner glenn horn hey glenn you know you can't afford to give me a bunch of boards gns they're sponsoring me skateboarding they're going to give me my boards for hawaii i'm jumping ship sorry but you know gns is my new home and uh it was a little kind of eagle bust on his part because he's looking forward to me riding matrixes in hawaii but i had to make that decision and and i never looked back and hank fell right in my lap you know being friends with him and and being an established good shaper that i could have a conversation with and design what i needed because he didn't know what a big rock design was or whatever. So I went to Hawaii, and one out of the the two out of the three, the little 610, little winger one, worked really good. The one I got the first photos of Pipeline on was a 7.2, and then I had a 7.6 that I never even rode at Pipeline. It was too scary, too wide, point two forward, funky, piggy, and... I never even, I loaned it to a guy and he broke it in half in Hawaii and I didn't care for that. So the one in between was, was ideal, worked good. Paddle on that pipeline, you know, it took a week to really see a pipe swell. Looking at the pipeline beach going, God, this just looks like PB. You just beat waves <laughs> yeah. up and down. Where's pipeline? I thought yeah. pipeline one foot to, to 20 foot was just an offshore perfect barrel, but no, a different story, you know. Oh, don't, and my, the guys I was with said that, uh, you know, don't worry, you'll know when pipeline's breaking, you know. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, hey, the paper came out, oh, yeah, 10 to 12 foot, you know, trade winds, pipeline's going to be good on Wednesday. Sure enough, that morning was like, the, the beach is rattling, and I'm, my heart's in my throat and going, whoa. And it was like. Who's kind of guiding you along? Mike Darfler was, huh. was a North, Northern California guide. And it's funny because I didn't have anywhere to stay. I got kind of, that's a whole other story we could talk. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Well, I got stuck at the airport and didn't have a place to stay. Bolster was supposed to fly with me. Didn't fly. I had three board boxes. Stuck at the airport. Didn't know which direction to go. No money to, to rent a car. I was too young to rent a car. There was a, a couple there trying to get to the North Shore. They, their ride stiffed them. So we rented a station wagon. I climbed under the boards in the back and, and ended up at the Kui Lima, the Turtle Bay Hilton now, and at the condos there. And, and the guy they, they were staying with, they, he put me up for the night because it was like late yeah. and then i was supposed to stay with mark Fu and went down to Fu's house he was a waiter at night so he wasn't there his girlfriend answered ran into him the next day he said oh my girlfriend said you can't stay here we don't have room so i'm stranded homeless and i ran into robbie mcclure and he was from san diego good pipeline server too he lives up north and he was staying with mark darfler mark darfler said oh, you could stay in our living room until you find a place Right on, got all my stuff. That was right at Pupakea, the bottom of the hill before Foodland, mm-hmm. and uh, stayed there one night next door to the A frame. The guy goes, Oh, we got a, a couch you could rent. And there I was. So three days later, I'm established, super stoked. And, and uh, I'd walk out to the corner, put my thumb out, get a ride from the, the parents taking their kids to Sunset Elementary, and they recognized me, so it was a no brainer. And then I ended up keeping my boards at Brad Hurst's house right at off the wall so i didn't have to carry a surfboard but the hard part was going there in the morning and then having to get back to make my peanut butter and jelly sandwiches Uh, which was a long walk and usually you didn't get too many rides hitchhiking so 
you'd stick it out if the waves are good and you until your stomach was growling and then you'd have to go find some food yeah. and then back for the evening sash. So, so that was kind of the, and your first session you were, you were, you were saying that you woke up and it's pumping. So I had a ride with Mark Darfler. He had his bug and he, you know, so at, you know, after we kind of eyes get a ride, whatever, but I ride with him. The first time I went was with him yeah. and, uh, and we sat on the beach. He goes, nah, it's glassy. The trade winds are going to pick up. It's going to get better. I'm like, it's pretty good right now. <laughs> no, no, trust me. So we went and had some breakfast, and then we went up, and there it was. It was like, you know, the trade winds and perfect pipe and, and paddled out. And, wow, it got out pretty easy. It wasn't too bad. First wave was like probably a good eight-foot wave and, and came out the bottom and went, oh, shit, it's closing out, and, and went to kick out to the full flying kick out like I've never done before, and I lost my board. Yeah. And now I'm just out there petrified going oh my goodness what what am i going to do i'm caught inside and and there's a eight foot wave coming to break on my head what's it like you know so went under washed me washed me i was halfway to the beach came up going that was it oh nice got to the beach the next couple waves got my board paddle back out and the rest is history going wow that was that was too much fun you know and and i When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free that's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free terms and conditions apply so maybe it was a blessing that you first wave was sort of not a wipeout but you lost your board you had to deal with what pipe was going to be right away rather than like the whole time being oh what's it going to feel like when i actually do get worked yeah pretty much that was like you know just like when you're not used to riding big waves and all of a sudden you go out and you're kind of little greenhorn from not having any big waves all winter and you get hammered by that one big set on your head and go, Oh, good. Oh, that wasn't so bad. And and that same feeling, even to this day, you know, everybody gets that feeling like, Oh my God. Oh, that was nothing. And then you take your worst wipe out and go, okay, I'm in good shape. That was it. Okay. Bring it on. Yeah. you know, yeah, that might have been the case, right? That you got to, you got to swim, you got hit on the head. You know, you did the deal, you did the loop, and now you're out there. And, and what are some of your first rides like? Like, do you remember some of these first makeable tubes? Yep, I remember just getting this perfect little eight foot wave and just being able to look up at the tube instead of crouch down, going, "Wow, this is." And then the spit was like, you know, big rock would spit a little bit, you know, but but to get a real pipeline spit, it was like, 
oh my god this was insane <laughs> it just blew me out of the barrel how is that and then you get deeper and get heavy ones and you get the spit blowing in your face and you know as you progress into understanding pipeline and getting deeper and deeper it's like that spit's a wicked thing you know i remember a couple of days later years you know quite a few years later this day was just probably 10 to 12 maybe 15 foot and it was lower tide and and it wasn't a matter of making the barrel it's a matter of making withstanding the spit that would blow you off your board there's a couple of photos that shows me like just full wide stance holding my stance and and every shot was a foot further towards the nose of my board and then i was standing there like i was still on my board with no surfboard under me by the spit blowing me out of the barrel yeah. and and i'll never forget those days you know and just i remember just soul arching waiting for the spit and then i'm kind of falling back and my foot's off the board and there's a shot in the magazine with one foot up and uh Shirley Rogers took the picture and, and uh, said he made this. Yeah, I did because the spit finally blew and put my foot back on the board and, and made the barrel, you know, because yeah. I, I like doing the little soul arch. Come off the bottom and just kind of did that style, you know, and uh, people kind of see it. And, you know, I mean, I grew up looking at, you know, Al Chapman and, and Sam Hawk and, and Lopez and all my idols of, of the 70s that just, God, that was a style time, you know, Rabbit doing his little hands behind the back and, and so, I mean, you had it, you know, I guess you'd be a poser now or whatever. But back then it was, you know, just the way of my, especially Big Rock, you'd take that late takeoff on a single fin and you'd kind of, whoa, and you'd have to kind of arch and miss that lip. It was just a natural turn. Yeah. It kind of would help you get that bottom turn and get under the lip by kind of doing that little arch and making your board come up and then stepping forward and getting barreled. Instead of trying to be forward and, and having that lip hit you in so the head. So it was almost technique as much as anything. Pretty much. Yeah. If you look at the, the way in the video, there's a couple out there, old shots of Big Rock, and you see me kind of come off the bottom and then kind of loop up into the barrel. And that was just like the, a natural little turn. Yeah. And now I break my back. My back's so messed up. But, but uh, Well, the, the, back to Pipeline, what was the crowd situation like in 1977? I mean, I'm thinking, I'm thinking like uh, the magazines were saying, oh, Pipeline Underground with... Um, with uh, Brian Bulkley and, and, and Doug Brown and these guys. You were probably surfing with these guys. 77, there, well, I didn't know who I was surfing with. I didn't know who was who or what. Yeah. You know, I remember Joey Baran, yes, and, and uh, the California kid. I thought he was like a Hawaiian guy because he's riding a town and country. I didn't really have any clue who he was. But, but uh, anyhow, just back then, it was just uh, went out and got good waves. The crowd was just... You, you just don't go out and, and be aggressive. I, yeah. I grew up going, you know, you better respect and stay on the sidelines. And if you get, you know, somebody's not around, you pick off a wave. And yeah. You're in business and you pick off another one and you go out in the early dawn patrol and, and the the pros wouldn't show up because they call it Kodak Reef for a reason because around 10-ish is when the sun comes out, the trade winds and all the the – Hawaiians and all the pros show up for their photos, and that's the prime time. They're not cracking it, or not so many. You know, the core guys are going to do get get out no matter what. But but I was able to get out late or get out early and and uh, pull it off and got some really good memories of that. The next year uh, was the first year of the Rainbow Board, and 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 I had a better idea of what boards were working because I had no idea. So I'm looking at all these cork ions and. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, Parishes were, were the all-time pro guys' uh, board of choice. 
but Court Guyon would make like Buckley and all those guys, Chris Lundy and and Bruce Hansel and all the underground. That was the underground pipe guys uh, would all have that. And then Buckley started making his own. And Chris Lundy always kind of dabbled. He was mainly a glasser. And uh, in my friends rode those. So I put them under my arm and, and get all the specs in my mind and, and the size and where the wide point was pulled back, not that California forward width and the, the gun. So I kind of came back immediately, went to Hank Warner and went, this is what we have to make for next year. So I was always a year behind in my technology on building surfboards, but I'd still pull it off to where my boards got better and better. I could ride bigger and bigger waves. 77, I had the 7.2, and I'll never forget it. It was one of the best days. I think uh, Doug Brown, you know, Roach, they called him, got a cover shot, and it was probably 15 plus. Uh, absolutely trade went perfect second reef going into first reef. And I just didn't have the equipment. I had a 7.2, and there's no way I was going to go out and kill myself. I knew my limits, and I was just, to this day, sitting on the beach going, oh, my God, I just don't have, you know, I couldn't paddle out that day. And it's still in my mind going, you know, and looking at all the reminders of the pictures in the magazine going, yeah, I sat on the beach that day. <laughs> but you're underselling yourself because at some point you've made a name for yourself at Pipeline. And you were in the Pipe Masters. In the 80s, was I was very lucky to get in the Pipe Masters. At that time, you know, by 80, I was already, you know, getting familiar with the guys, you know, the underground guys, the Buckleys and those guys, and, and surfing with them. And I was able to uh, move into the Pipeline house. Uh, uh, Brian Buckley got me into extra room I got to rent. And uh, so being around that and... The Dom Patrol, the, all the underground guys. Randy Rarick recognized all those guys as really good surfers. And they couldn't deny these guys that were probably the most standout guys at Pipeline, you know, every day instead of the standout guys that would show up from Sunset going to Pipeline Contest, Sunset Contest, and Oliva Contest. They would, you know, that time of year, December, oh boy, the Pipeline Masters. And you, and I got the pleasure of surfing with these guys like Sean Thompson and Mark Richards, by far my all-time hero, professional, would come up and you know, recognize me from surfing Pipeline good. And, and we became friends. And he'd you know every year I'd see him, and he was such a gentleman. He'd come up and shake my hand. So those years of getting recognized, I, I was in that, I made the cut. I made the cut with Buckley and all those guys. And uh, got to surf the Pipeline Masters. The first year, I had gotten hit by my board, ripped the single fin out of my board, and I was in, on crutches during Hurricane Eva. So I had to cancel that year. And the next year, I was in it. And it was the year that Beaver cracked his head and almost died. And Chris Lundy got hit by the lip. And, and they, I was the next heat. They told me, oh, hold on. we got to wait for the doctors to get back on the scene. And they were life-flighting these guys to the hospital. And, you know, so... <laughs> And you're up next. I got my heart in my throat and just freaking out because it was way too much north. And it was too out of control for him to really have had the contest. So I paddle out, and it's like closing out 10 to 15 foot. And, uh, you know, of course, I'm sitting deep, and I got Lopez in my heat. I got Tony Manise. I got uh, Keone Downing. I got uh, Chappie, I think, from Australia. And uh, and we're talking Tony Manise was just the the gnarliest aggressive guy you could ever see and i'm just like oh freaking out six guys in the water yeah the most stress i ever had in the water and lopez oh, just relax it's okay don't worry about it well i got three three of the biggest closeouts didn't make them didn't advance at all but you know the news station was waiting for the next person to die and i was on the uh tv that whole 
you know, my whole heat because I got three giant closeouts. I almost spun out of one and just skimmed the lip and pulled into the safe zone, and, and it was pretty radical. You know, my it's just heart's pounding away, and, and I got to the beach and went, oh, you know, so much for contests. I like free surfing, you know? Yeah. And that's what I was recognized for, my style and free surfing. But what put me on the map of anything was, was being able to put my foot in the door with Gordon Smith, you know? They had full-page advertisements. They, you know, so, of course, the photographers are looking at, wow, GNS, uh, Joe Roper Pipeline, we're going to focus on him because that's money in our pocket. And then the magazine's looking at GNS advertising. They're going to throw their, their team rider, of course, in the magazine. So I give 100% credit to Gordon Smith because of the situation, not I understand, yeah, I was charging pipeline, but so was Bruce Hansel, so was Chris Lundy, so was Buckley, but they didn't have that huge, huge Gordon Smith sponsorship that had full-page ads in every magazine to put me in there. Right. So I got the exposure because of that and because charging and you know doing what I did. Yeah, I was, I was that's, gonna, a, that's actually a really good point that you just made, that all the, everyone was charging, but you, but you did make the great choice to switch from... Menard and Matrix and Glenn Horn over to GNS. I mean, there's some, I don't know, I don't want to say dumb luck, but that was a pretty smart move. I don't know if you were like that forward thinking about it. You just wanted to get the good boards. Well, yeah, I knew <laughs> who was the bigger company for sure. I'm yeah. dealing with mom and pop, San Diego Surf Shop. Glenn Horn has zero money. And I hate to say it, probably still has the first nickel he ever earned, you know, but he's a nice guy and we're great friends to this day. And, Bill Menard was was just a pleasure, pleasure to work with. We're still good, good friends. So, so the, it was just you know skateboarding for them and going that direction and and seeing their capital and where they're they they were going was was a no brainer for sure. Tell me a little bit about those early days in the San Diego surfboard manufacturing scene, and and correct me because I'm going to butcher this, but I want to say that there was sort of like two camps. There was like Select Surf Shop and Phil Castagnola. And then there was the GNS camp, and there's probably some other camps. Can you kind of enlighten me on on the scene at that time? Because GNS was huge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, PB Surf Shop was was by far the first shop I ever set foot in, besides Select. And then across the street was was uh, George's. You know, that was very young and not quite surfing. My brother used to hang out there and put racks together for free wax or whatever. But uh, later years, San Diego Surf Shop opened 1970, and we were at the pier on our bikes and going, what are they doing here? Oh, we're opening a surf shop. We jumped in there and went, give me a hammer. I want to help. <laughs> and they gave, you know, this is our new hangout. And, and I got my bar of wax for, for getting in their way, whatever, you know. And, uh, and they, it was really... That that was pretty much a stepping stone because uh, they were the underdog shop. PB Surf Shop was established. Select Surf Shop was gnarly with you know the, you know the Channons and the Casters and the and the group of people that hung out there and just was that, that like the older guy gnarly scene. It was just a different you know culture of of guys that were like you know from the the PB guy. I mean the, the legends you know and the Hank Warners and the. The guys that hung out there, you know, I mean, Channon and all those surfboards they 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 sold out of there. But then, you know, Phil was you know wheeler and dealer. You know, I mean, he just uh, had a lot coming and going, and uh, and a lot of of 
adult activities that as a kid you kind of keep your distance but you're still got your foot in the door going you know this is you know cool because it was just just a stop on my my bike path on the way home you know mm-hmm. and check it out but but uh pv surf shop of course bill andrews was was the manager and let's make a deal bill and <laughs> and we go sweep the floors for wax or when the sandals came out i'd work all day long to get a pair of sandals and then whatever it took you know cadillac wheels came out first time there so bill was the guy that we'd try to hustle every day for something you know and and uh that was my fun time a lot of a lot of memories with bill and 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 pv surf shop and and they had their little thing on the side where they did repairs that's where i actually paid for my first surfboard repair uh on my uh it was a twin fin 1970 i want to say and uh it cost me three dollars man i was shocked because it was so much money you know it's like and i went shoot i'm gonna have to you know start fixing my own dings you know but but uh i think i got them down to two bucks but but anyhow <laughs> that that was my memories and then when San Diego surf shop you know of course we we hung out there and helped you know be one of the rats because the owner tommy flanagan she had a son that we went to school with and a daughter and her husband was a yacht broker and and uh she was gnarly she she actually opened up the shop and uh came from mission beach to crystal pier and i think it changed ownership but she would do all of the glassing in hot coats and then they come down to the San Diego surf shop and they'd sand them and put the fin boxes in them. And then he'd go back and then she'd pin line them and gloss them. And then they had a polished guy at San Diego surf shop that would do that. And she did it out of her garage on Law Street. Gnarly. And she was, you know, super gnarly. She ran the business. And, and uh, I remember all of us had our, our little bikes in front of the shop. And she always told us to put them off the side and we're blocking the, the entrance to the shop. And, and she came out, and we were, like, running for our bikes, and she grabbed her sons, the first one, and just fling that thing down the street as far as she could. And, and <laughs> you know, we had to kind of uh, ride away for a little bit because she was pretty steamed. So she was a pretty pretty aggressive, really gnarly uh, owner of the shop. Many memories of that. Uh, watching them do repairs on the side and, and their team riders and, and doing the WSA because a lot some of us were sponsored by San Diego Surf Shop. You know, if you look at the old programs from the seventies, you know, you'll see uh, she had her little team and and PB Surf Shop had theirs. PB Surf Shop and Bill Andrews were, I mean, they were GNS. I mean, they they, they were the number one shop selling GNSs, but they're I would say eighty uh, percent of them were La Jolla Shores and and the Keith Conches and all the Tim Lynches and Kerry Keating and and all the guys that rode for him and and just the those were the rippers and and Bill was a part of that whole thing. I don't think they came down down to PV too much, but some of them later years would as young teenagers would work at the shop Tim Lynch and Gary Keating and actually even Rusty Preisendorfer and Angie was working at PV Surf Shop at the time too. So you had that whole little clique of Gordon and Smith people that were part of PV Surf Shop. And I was pretty much solid with uh, San Diego Surf Shop, but I'd still pop in because, you know, I mean, you got to keep in touch with all the shops. That's just the way it rolls, you yeah. know. And uh, hmm. so that was my younger years of, of being part of, of the different shops. And like I said, San Diego Surf Shop went through three different owners. Uh, Tommy sold it to Barbara Dival, which was part of uh, her. She had three daughters and a son, Chuck Hope, that I, him and I would glass boards together. And... Uh, Hank dated Judy and Robin Sutherland built surfboards too. 
he dated uh, Peggy, and Mike Dehart was a PB Point guy and dated uh, Karen. So, and then Chuck surfed. So the mom bought the surf shop because they all convinced her to buy it, <laughs> and she ran it. And then, uh, you know, they built boards and they did, you know, whatever. And then it turned into the Matrix, and then she sold it to Glenn Horn, and the rest is history. San Diego surf shop. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm going to mention some names. I'd TheBoardSource.com, a warehouse-based surfboard reseller located in Carlsbad, California. The Board Source buys, sells, and takes trade-ins on surfboards, and they have over 300 new and used boards in their inventory. Check out their website, updated daily, TheBoardSource.com. Premium used equipment, TheBoardSource.com. I'd like to just... Have you kind of freeform? Um, let's just start with Skip Fry. Uh, Skip Fry, of course. There you go. Genius, Skip Fry, uh, Crystal Pier. Growing up, there used to be a walkway that went along the cliff, and Skip had his Volkswagen van and his dog AJ, which was the the Tasmanian devil. You get near his quiver of boards that we want to look in the window and check out his stash of boards. The dog would slobber all over and think he's going to go through that window and eat us. But Skip would show up with his family and put all his boards in the firing and, you know, surf that little evening sash or whatever and and uh, just watch him glide all the way across and just going, ooh, Skip Fry, you know. And, you know, just in conversation, hi, hi, you know, and, and through the years, you know, we became better and better friends and going through so many chapters of our lives and, and all the way to the, this day is like, you know, he's like family. Yeah. So Skip has always been just the smoothest, you know. I mean, when my son Jojo started surfing, you know, I'd push him in waves and, and catch a wave and Skip would be riding a wave and catch him catch up to him on the shore break and push him back out and and then head out to catch a wave and we just kind of do that little rotation and here you get a freebie from us and catch your own and we'll catch up to you you know and and uh and that that was where he learned his style i told my kid when he started paddling catching waves on his own if i ever see you do a huntington hop you're gonna have to find another ride to the beach <laughs> see how skip surfs that's the way you got to show your style son yeah you know yeah for sure what about carl ekstrom carl ekstrom i never really knew carl back in the day Later years and all the little events because of uh, the history and all that and uh, the historical luau's to the cancer luau's to all the events, uh, Carl and I became friends and, and Woody, his brother, but Carl more than anything because he's a surfboard builder and, and we could have that same level of of knowledge. By far, he was the mad scientist and if I had any questions... I'd ask Carl on any kind of resin projects. So he was always somebody I always 100% looked up to, even to this day. Uh, and I r- really, really stoked to be able to, through the years, be a part of somebody in the history books to piggyback, to be the fly in the wall, to be able to hear conversations and serve stories, getting back to Skip up at San Onofre, on the beach, just eavesdropping in on him talking to Whitey Harrison about 
old days and da 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 and that that was like the senior to him you know skip was just a, a grimmy compared to to uh woody i mean whitey harrison and and then woody brown coming over here and and his stories like at 80 coming surfing wind and sea and that whole history and so being able to talk to carl and all those guys and hear the history and their stories it just puts in my my memory bank of passing it on to my grandkids if I can or my kid already they, they get preached all the time about the history and respect and you know this guy and da da da, da and, and uh so yeah these are important people in our lives because our surfing history is so young that that uh to be able to talk to Woody Brown one of the first surfers that paddle out at Winnensee with with uh you know Whitey Harrison from uh Dana Point to Don Oakey building the coop box and building the shack at Windensee, sitting there talking to him, you know, in real life is like amazing, you know, going, I'm talking to one of the first servers at Windensee, and I'm, you know, hello. And uh, so I've been blessed with, with able to kind of get my foot in the door. I felt like I was way too young to get in the cancer luau when they're bringing, you know, Mike Doyle and, and Carl Ekstrom and Skip and all these guys in those legends. And then for some reason I stumbled on that legend thing. And I just, I was kind of humbled. I didn't even want to pose with them in the pictures because I just didn't feel like I was worthy. You know, these guys are the real legends. Well, now it's circulating down to our legends like, you know, uh, Lopez and, and Mark Richards and the, and the next generation. And that Joe was Roper. mine. No, my generation was, I grew up idolizing all the 70s guys. And, and when Skip would go, oh, Phil Edwards is my all-time hero. He's the best surfer in the world. And I started looking and seeing Phil's style and all that. I didn't follow that. That you know, Mike Henson. You know, I knew the endless summer and all that. But you know, Mike was kind of that ego guy. You know, in the seventies, he. I remember him stink bugging in front of me at Big Rock and getting fully barreled and coming out, and he kicks out and just looked at me like, you know, what are you doing behind me? <laughs> you know, and uh, so I, you know. I kept that thorn in his side through the years because now we could have our conversations. And I always like, I remember at Selexer shop, there you go, the dark side. I see this crusty old guy later years putting templates on the sidewalk with a felt pen. And Phil goes, Hey, you know who that is? I don't know. Who is this guy? That's, that's Mike Henson. I go, Mike Henson. Oh, Hey, I remember when you cut me off at big rock, and you know, fucking gave me stink eye. How are you doing, man? And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, who the fuck's this little kid, you know? And uh, so, I mean, I always kept that aggressive, knowing his ego and all that. And I didn't let, I didn't go up and go, ooh, you're the Mike Henson. Can I get your autograph? No, it was like, I always kept that thorn in his side as a, being that local guy from, you know, PB La Jolla and, and, and letting him know that, you know, I'm the next generation, buddy, you know? Yeah. So you got to better show me a little respect. But I, you know, I loved to, I, no disrespect whatsoever, but it's still a, a, a good to be able to talk to these legends. You for know? sure, for sure. What about Diffenderver? Did you ever know my Diffenderver? Yeah, through the luau's and all that, I was able to, you know, have conversations because he kind of recognized me and knew his pipeline in in the later years, and and uh, I was able to get a board made from him in Hawaii. My friends uh, play golf with them, and and oh yeah, I'll get you a board made. And I had it glass, and I just finished it up here. But he made me a board with my name, my Diffenderfer, and uh, it didn't work that great, but it's still a personal board. I have some old 60s boards in my collection, so I got a, little chapters of everybody that I respect and, 
And of course, yeah, he was, you know, all time, you know, there's just that list of these all time pioneers of white man shaping. And, you know, it's, it's chilling to be able to, to be able to be in that position to get a surfboard for one, like people beg to get a skip fry now. And it's like, skip, make me a board. No problem. What do you want? You know? And how do you do that? You know, there's a relationship there that we've earned through, you know, the 50 years we've been hanging out, you know? So it's, it's really special, you know? Well, you mentioned your collection of boards and for anyone who doesn't know, if you come to Joe's shop, he's got an incredible collection of surfboards. I'm going to ask you sort of another tough question and, and it's, they're sort these are sort of silly questions, but they're fun to ruminate on. But if you could only have one of these boards, what's the most special? What's the board you would never give up of all of the boards that you have here? Probably my my board on the wall in the front there that I served the Pipeline Masters and and it served Big Rock and Blacks and South Sepuetas and the best ways of my life. And if I was going to have one board that could surf anything, I'd go back to that one from the memories, of course. Uh, Collectible. I have a... uh, That's a different point of view to, to go what would i really want what is What's the a- one board you you have to keep you don't get any other boards you have to keep one board all the other boards in your collection leave you what's the one board that you keep i know it's kind of silly but what's the most special board oh boy it's it'd have to be one of my fries that i'd want to ride all the time it'd have to be i all the rest is just it's just surfboards that my collection is kind of cool because i try to collect stories with my collection i've got bill andrews's personal board from when he managed surf scene with the original order card he was just such a influence in my life that that's special you got a board that doyle has his nose mug on it that's signed by him no real stories i can't tell a story with it i have boards that that you know that my friends that passed away, special Chan and Diffender for by David Anderson. And uh, just different boards like that kind of hit the, the heart yeah. more so than just having a collection. Yeah. Uh, so I'd have to go back to one of my, my skips that are just special that I have mem- memories on and leave it at that. Yeah. You know, earlier you mentioned Tom Ortner, who sadly passed away recently. Does there... Do you have a board that relates to Tom in some way? Or Tom was unique. Tom had his whole mental design of, of he would get, you know, Neil shapes a lot of boards for him. Neil Norris was just all-time, you know, Aloha from Maui. He comes over here for events, and, and uh, but he'd ride a lot of Neil's boards. And, and he had his style of a single fin, and he had that stretch five. He could go for two blocks posing it you know and 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 his low bottom turns and all that so he tried one of my skips and uh he kind of liked it you know but tom would never say it he was so soft-spoken he didn't know what he was thinking or what he's riding he'd come out frustrated on riding one board and ride another and and uh you know so didn't get in too many conversations on hey tom what are you riding you know he would just got go with the flow and and we just flowed together and and uh surfboard designs he would we'd check him out a little bit because he'd shape his own too yeah you know he was never never really had a board that i'd always see him have for years and years i mean i got boards that date back you know 
to the beginning of time. And I, I mean, I say tell death do us part. You know, you get a board that works, my big rock board, you know. Yeah. It's just a dream board. And, you know, I'm not going to change anything because I'm comfortable knowing that this board's going to airdrop, I'm going to land it, and it's going to make it, and it's going to make me make it. Yeah. Uh, and then you get the ones that suck and just go, this thing looks really good, but it doesn't really work. You know, you get one out of a hundred, you know, I want to say. But, but uh, so Tom was very unique on his style and everything else. So as far as that goes, that's, I couldn't yeah. answer that too yeah, much. Yeah. I know a few years ago you, you surfed Big Rock again for maybe, I don't know, the first time in a while. Perhaps maybe correct my memory here, but I know that you surfed it. When was the last time you surfed it? Uh, it was probably... Uh, it's been probably three years or so, I want to say, but probably six years ago, uh, I just went on this full-on diet and, and exercise, and I was training six days a week. I lost 50 pounds. I was like a 50-year-old child riding a 6'2 and surfing three-foot wind and seeing paddling circles around the kids, <laughs> and, and uh, I got a really good day at Big Rock, and and. You know, I never lost my position. My son always holds my card for me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was the, the, the tight crew at the peak, and it, the set came in, and my son just goes, Dad, go. Get out of the way. And it was just this full, I mean, there's no stopping me. I was in great shape. My favorite big rock board, airdrop this thing, pulled in and just got probably the best barrel I've had in 10 years out there. And, and uh, it was such a blessing because – there was so many people that just captured it. It was like this the man just put these people there, tutors in his car honking his horn. My wife doesn't hang on the beach too much. She saw the barrel. My best friend Dan Ryan, he's on the beach with, with uh Sangoli taking pictures. Marshall Meerman's out there with a modern camera. Todd's out there with a Nikonis that Marshall used to take pictures with. So you got a black and white shot. You got a color shot. You got a beach shot. The photographer on the beach in tears going, "That's a, I haven't shot a barrel of you in 10 years. And, and it was just, I was so blessed. It was like one of the best experiences of my whole entire career. Yeah. Uh, and I, to this day, it's still in my mind, yeah. you know. And that was probably, you know, like I said, that was probably six years ago. And then I had to demo the old shop, build the new shop. Things kind of went south. The trainer shut down. I kind of ate too many burritos and got back to my weight again. And in the last time, four years ago, I got a really good barrel. I was still in good shape. And uh, it was New Year or Christmas Eve as I was building my shop here. I got a break. And uh, got out there, another photo op, John Maher and, and different people's got, got all these different pictures. And John shows up with a full poster-sized frame from Costco of the water shot of that barrel, and it's in my shop to this day. So that was probably the last real good session I had. Uh, I'm not giving up. I'm going to get back out there <laughs> good. to look out. Good. Uh, but... It's sad that we get older and, and get kind of... It's not that I don't want to surf it. It's, it's that I know I would be kind of a nuisance and I could hurt myself because it's a dangerous spot. You just got to know your limits. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you're not popping up and you're not pulling in, you shouldn't be out there. Yeah. You shouldn't be a, a... You know, and I'm not going to go play that, hey, look out, I'm Joe Roper, whatever. 
you know, and be a kook, you yeah. know. Yeah. I want to be on my game because, you know, there's there's the, the diamond slopes and there's the beginner slopes. Well, you begin, and then when you end, you got to go back to the beginning and work yourself back up. It's your ability to, to put yourself in that position, what you feel comfortable with. I'm happy at Win and See right now, but I am getting to that golden years of I better get my act together, and I am going to get back out How old there. are you now? I'll be 61 on Sunday. 61 on Sunday. So, so I'm still young. I yeah. Mean, I, mean, I mean, look at Lopez and all these guys that are just killing it, and I just kind of – you get in this – pattern and, and you don't realize how life. fast it yeah. catches up to you working way too much and not exercising and just your mind gets south yeah and it's a mental thing yeah you know yeah probably every than- single day you have to stay on it and i put myself to sleep and i didn't keep on it and now it's biting me harder than ever gotta be tough to get old and i haven't been that tough lately well, i find that hard to believe but I, I know you can get back on it if you want and i'm just stuck here in the water still and you got what? inspiration like your kid, you know, yeah. riding these giant waves. And come on, Dad. Come on, Dad. And he doesn't push me because he knows that it's kind of sad for me not to want to be out there. And, and it kind of – but I put myself in that position. It's not his job to – but it'd be nice, you know. When I, I love going out and just you – know, my son's out in the water and just like, come on, Dad. Let's get, get – you know, and it's like – and it pushes you, you know. So yeah. – and you get that in your mind. You get that stoke and you get that stoke rolling and, and just keep it going and, and – and make it happen. Do you think you can be as stoked on a fun four-foot wave at Winnensee today as you are getting a killer barrel at Big Rock? Like, does the stoke... No, I miss it. Yeah. Oh, God. I want to just get barrels so bad. <laughs> yeah. I want to just pop up. I want to lose 50 pounds. I want to be on top of my game 110%. Hello. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, right? Tell me about um, JoJo. I mean, your son, he's a big wave hell man. Um, he's obviously followed in your footsteps. When you see him in these situations that he puts himself in at Mavericks, at Jaws, at Big Puerto Escondido, do you have a concern as a father for his safety? Absolutely. When he started riding the big waves in Hawaii in the outer reefs, I was like, you know, hey, son, you know, there's a limit, and I hope you know your limits. I hope you know you you have to be in tip-top shape and make sure you – you know, train for this. Look at the guys in Hawaii. They're all in training. Professional surfers to just big wave guys, and they're on, on their game. And, you, you know, and when they're surfing Himalayas and all that, I, he makes sure, you know, he's going, yeah, it's going to be big out outer reefs. You know, well, is there water safety jet ski guys? Oh, yeah, so-and-so's out there, and, and there'll be skis. Okay, you know, don't go out there without a ski, but he did, and he, you know, uh, broke the news that he had a two-wave hold down. It's like, son, you know, this is not good news. I don't want to hear about this. I want to, you know, it's, you're scaring me now, you know. So yeah. he got into a, a full training. He goes and, and trains with the best of them. He was able to meet up with Greg Long and all the guys that, that had been there, done that. And when he was a little kid, he went to Fiji, and uh, he stayed in the boat driver's beret with Shane Dorian. And I think that's where the light came on at Cloud Break, and he started – progressing into better waves and then i think he idolized them so much that he followed their little routine of how to train and i really preached it i go you know you're not going to go out in these waves if you're not in shape don't even bother i don't even want to hear about it you know and and he's turned into a, a young athlete and he he is so in tune with the safety side of it i mean he'll go out and make sure that they trade off in the safety 
I mean, they were out at Totos, and it was a pretty big day, and, and uh, him and Greg or whoever he's with, and, uh, you know, Gary Linden, the maniac that he is, I mean, God, the guy's incredible. There's another all-time big wave legend uh, out there, and, and he's all about safety too, but, and he didn't have a safety team, and, they, you know, JoJo plucked him out, and, they, you know, they all work together. They look at everybody in the lineup. They don't look at, oh, I'm only looking at him. Anybody takes off in that wave, all eyes are on it from the paddle guys to the jet ski guys to everybody looking out for each other. And it should get to a point where all these people are charging these giant waves. They should all, I mean, they have the classes that they certify them to, to you know, uh, be water safety and, and the flotation and holding your breath and all that. And I think it, it should come to a limit where there should be some sort of a water safety on some of these days where, you know, hey, are you... Who are you? Have you been through this? Because we don't want to save your ass if you get in trouble because you just think you could put on a flotation now and be that guy. We've trained for months and months and months and years and years and years to get to this point. And, you know, we we don't want to see you die and ruin it for everybody or we don't want to have to pluck you out and put our lives in jeopardy because you're not trained, yeah. you know. And they do these classes. JoJo just did the class with Greg and... and uh they go through the whole classroom, and then they go through the whole water, and they go through the whole course. And, yeah. and that's really, really important. I'm so proud of him for being part of that in the, in the top-of-the-line safety equipment and, and knowing his limits, too, that giant damn Mavericks, which is too big. But a couple guys got waves, and he goes, yeah, the guys that caught waves and got pummeled, they didn't paddle back out. <laughs> and, uh, and he goes, Dad, it was, it was way too dangerous. Half the guys didn't even catch a wave, and they came in just satisfied, just fine. Yeah, you know, so they they know their limits, and uh, they can't push the envelope for their ego. You know, so that's good about my son. He's respectful and he understands, and hopefully, he doesn't push his limits too far. Well, you know, there's big wave surfing, and there's there's surfing in general has got a lot more tangents to it, right? We've got, of course, there's stand up paddling, there's foiling, there's there's just a lot to surfing. What's your take on where surfing is at? Like the state of the state of surfing? Well, it changes. I mean, they went from the, you know, we okay, back up a little bit here. We got the, the Mori design, the boogie board. That became a whole nother little water sport of all these uh, body boarders, I want to call them. I don't want to say. <laughs> what do you want to call them? <laughs> we call them spongers, you yeah. know. You know, Spongers, yeah. whatever yeah. you know we've all i mean okay you could go back to the core guys that charged back in the day at pipeline you had jack the ripper okay he was the lopez of of maury he was sponsored by you know jack uh, lindholm yep yeah and he would just was a soft-spoken under the radar nicest human being but he never he, he never even opened his mouth because he's so low-key and he knew the his position and everything and he would drop in and the the years he got all those photos of just doing that bottom turn like Lopez just on his boogie board and pulling in and just uh that drop was, knee right drop knee yeah. yeah and just it was just pretty incredible to watch him and then after him was the the maniac Daniel Kaimi uh he was out of reef doing the the little spinners on the face of a 15 foot wave and 
on his boogie board it said till death do us part and just he was the rebel guy from Kaneohe that would take the bus every day to to serve pipe and and I became friends with him too but then later years Mike Stewart oh my goodness he would just be so deep in charge and heavier than anybody and then the population got too out of control and and uh in all the contests and everything else and that was Hawaii and and even to this day that the surfers and the the bodyboarders have their little competitive thing you know and it kind of got harder and harder to catch waves because they're ruthless you know the hawaiian bodyboarders just stuff you stuff you stuff you you know i've been i mean for later years at pipeline just gone oh my god this is just you know can't get anywhere because these guys look at you and burn you but that's that san diego big rock uh we had a pretty tight little uh spot out there there weren't too many guys we'd let out at the peak, and there was battles constantly, you know, with those guys. And still to this day, there's there's battles with them, you know. And and uh, but they sneak out there, and there's a couple guys, probably after 20 years of hassling them, we're friends now, you know. But, <laughs> I think uh, I know who you mean. <laughs> yeah, so there's a few of them that that we've extended it, but I let them know they're spongers to yeah. this day. Going, you know, you're still a sponger, you know. <laughs> You know, but right. you know, maybe someday you could stand up. But whatever, yeah, it's a different sport. Getting back to that, turned into this the windsurfers, which those guys in Hawaii, Hawaii just has all the fun tickets. You know, they they pick something up and they run with it and they do it to the max. You know, going out at Hukipa is that where where yeah. they they uh, all the windsurfers and just going off riding the waves and then Jaws, you know, and 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 outer uh, you know Velzy Land. Uh, with backyards out there yeah backyards and all that watching those guys just going oh my goodness look at this these guys are just ripping on these windsurfers then the kiteboards came and then the foils are out now and and all the evolution of all these different sports you know the stand-ups you know that's like when the boogie board thing came out you know these stand-up guys start you know hey i'm a stand-up guy i'm gonna paddle out well you know you're not gonna paddle out here (laughs) You know, wind and sea, you'll never see a stand-up guy taken off out of wind and sea because we have to have our limits, you know. There's plenty of spots, plenty of areas for them. Not that they're not rippers and killing it and the size of the boards and what they're doing now, just like any sport. They've dropped it down from the big barges to these little six, seven-foot ripper boards. And, and, you know, don't get me wrong. These guys are are taken to the max just like a surfer, you know. And they are riding waves, and it is, you know, but there's there's a, a place for everybody, you know. They're not going to go out at Big Rock, and and you could get into the kayaks, you know. The, I call them butt boards, you know. And you know, South Africa has a huge population. San Diego has a, a a little group of them, you know. I fix their boards for them. I got a group of them there. They're all part of a little club thing, and they all go up to uh, Torrey Pines, and they got their own little spot, yeah. you know. And they hit it off there, and and. They some of them have respect. They know their limits. They're not going to paddle out at certain spots because they know they're just going to kind of get run kind of down the beach. Yeah. But uh, so there's a lot of different water sports that you see that come and go and and they fit in or they don't. And and uh, the way our you know as population increases and and one thing is you know that that has really put a thorn in my side is, is Costco. You know, I mean the softboard and. Took twenty five percent of my business, and everybody else that built surfboards, and and anybody and everybody could go out, and they still surf like a surfboard, and they think that they could just paddle out at the peak at all these, you know, diamond runs like the ski slope, you know, the top of the mountain spots, and uh, you know, try to get aggressive, and it's kind of like 
you're still on a sponge here, you know? It's yeah, like... Uh, yeah. Like a wave storm. Yeah, the wave storms. And, and uh, you mm-hmm. know, the kids love them in the shore break. They can't break their, their good boards and all that. That's fine and dandy. And the, the beginners don't get hurt when they get hit by them. But those things don't even ding. I mean, they ding, but they don't give me any business. So, <laughs> so it's, there's nothing in it for me. Right. <laughs> Anyhow. Well, what about... What does retirement look for Joe Roper? What does it look like? Changing careers, you could never retire. You know, you look at your your dads and grandfathers and, you know, everybody that is anybody that has just that craftsman side of them. You always got to dabble. Yeah. You never stop. Yeah. As far as this whole huge empire that I've created with my wife that has made this happen yeah. and my family, all the kids have have gotten their public relations uh, experience from anybody and everybody you could ever imagine coming through that door whining about this or nice as can be or, you know, and that's, that's a, you know, when they're, you know, from eight-year-old, eight, eight to, you know, teenagers, yeah. you know, they got, they came down the shop and customer service, you know, and, and uh, I just did it because, you know, the, growing up, you got to have that experience, and of course, they all went to college, and and uh, they're all doing their little careers. Yeah, you know, Jojo's the big wave guy, but he's still got his focus. He got his business degree, so he's he's got a degree, yeah. and that's great. Yeah, you know, hopefully, he moves into the industry and can can make a living out of it. But but uh, so you see yourself here till the bitter end, dabbling in art in the side room I over there, have, having fun. This is well, this is where you're going to be kicking it. No, when I opened up the shop here in Kearney Mesa. Uh, 2015, I gave myself five years. I said, five years, I'm... You've got one more year, Joe. <laughs> I'm moving on, and uh, I'm molding my guys. I'm job descriptions in every area. I'm trying to videotape. I'm trying to get this whole puzzle put together so I can comfortably hand it off to my manager or whoever wants to be down the line and, and run Joe Ropers. Yeah. I have plenty of little hobbies in my shop here. If you've ever been here, you see the yeah. upstairs. I got little artsy fartsies. I've got, you know, I've been really enjoying doing the restores and doing the pigment and stuff like that. Like a guy with that was a mechanic his whole life, and all of a sudden he's got these hot rods he's working on. That's fun stuff. Yeah, I don't have to clock in. I don't have to clock out. I come in and go. Wow, what can I play with today? Or or surf or travel with the wife and and we've only got like one chapter left in our life so yeah you know if, if we don't get healthy and do it this is the hardest time of our life luckily when i was a kid i was able to go to hawaii and capture pipeline and all that and just close the shop for two months and no responsibility whatsoever and i could fall back on why well, i did this yeah. why i was able to do it I couldn't go, wow, I can't wait to retire. Then I could go serve pipeline. I don't think so. Right. You know, so I was lucky enough to pull that off. And I encourage that with my son and, you know, anybody that has a direction, get that hardcore surfing out of your system and around the world. Now the access of following swells and everything makes it a lot easier yeah. to tap in and, and, and do it and go, God, I could tell my kids that I did this. And, and that's really special. And the retirement, just you got to just stay healthy. And one foot above ground is a good day. And 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 continue. And looking at guys like Skip at seventy seven, going, oh, he's skateboarding, he's surfing, and he's like a kid in a toy store with new fin designs and everything else. I got a lot of people to look up at, and and 
I better get my act together and stay in, in tune with that. And that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. You know, I've created it. Uh, the stress, yeah, it's building this empire. I mean, I had, you know, six, seven-day weeks, 12-hour days in the trenches, sanding over 100 boards and just, like, having to get everything done at a deadline because we ha- we're real consistent. You can't flake out. You can't let your customers down. You have to keep them happy. You got to put out all the fires and that is really stressful. Yeah. Uh, my wife has had to deal with this stress for, for way, way, way too many years that I could admit to, but yeah. bless her heart. And she knows, and, yeah. and we have a plan. Cool. Uh, January, you know, we're going to kind of like set back and let them run it and not try to interfere in the production part of it. Cool. But I'm not using that R word. It's right. just changing my, my fun ticket. Right. Cool. Well, we've said a lot, Joe. Thanks for your time here today. And I urge everyone to come down to Joe Roper's custom surfboarding repair. And of course, he does restorations and glass jobs. Thank you, buddy. Or just come down and check out the uh, surfboards on the wall. It's like a little museum. And and one of my jobs is kind of the tour guide. So come by during the week and say hi and check it out.